0: Welcome, everyone, to the Appraisal Institute's podcast series, Face Value. I'm Warren Boisot.
1: And I'm Tonya Vilas. Today, we'll be diving into AI success stories and sharing personal experiences that have helped in those successes.
0: As always, thanks for joining us. With us today is Mark Linnae, MAISRA, AIGRS, Mark Ratterman, MAISRA, and Eric Schneider, MAISRA, AIGRS.
1: Thank you, Warren, for saying their names with all those extra letters, because I know I would have fumbled on that one. Tonya, um, can
0: we can we change, going forward, If that, can we just say alphabet, like guest alphabet? If they've got them all, <laughs> let's just call it alphabet.
1: Sounds great, because I jumbled them all the time as well. Yes. Welcome to the show, everyone. Could you tell the listeners a little bit about yourselves? Mark Linet? how about we start off with you?
2: Sure. Thanks, Morningtonia. Uh, it's great to be here today. Uh, I think uh, I realized this morning I've been an appraiser for 40 years. And that's wow. uh that's kind of amazing. Uh it has it has gone quickly. Uh a, a lot of interesting and entertaining things along the way. But I began in the assessment part of our profession. I worked for the city and county of Denver as an assessor, and I think that really drove my worldview for the longest time because I was used to lots of data, uh, the need to value properties quickly to understand markets, and so when I entered the fee part of the profession about 32 years ago, um, a lot of, I felt like a, a square peg in a round hole. I, I I wanted to do all these things. I didn't understand why we just could why we only had to use three comps. Why we couldn't use a thousand. <laughs> and so, um, but I, I learned and I learned there was, there was an advantage to having that background and analysis and that f- kind of focus. And, and that led me really to, to, um, uh, work on the first of my three books for the Appraisal Institute, kind of talking about those kinds of analytic techniques, um, For a number of years then, I also, you know, have developed a lot of uh, seminars, a lot of presentations for the Appraisal Institute, but I've really been involved with the Institute for the majority of my professional career, and I I think I I was looking up the other day, I think I've been uh, a member of the Institute for 35 years. So uh, during that time, I've been involved with the local chapter, but I've also been involved with uh the Strategic Planning Committee, the Publications Committee when we had that. Uh, I've served on the board of the appraisal journal, and uh I'm I'm currently on the publications panel. But um right now I'm on the Education Committee, which is this is a critical time for us to develop new education and uh really determine how how we deploy education to our members. So uh, it, it's been a very exciting time for me. Uh, in terms of my private practice, I uh, I do complex assignments. I do a lot of litigation, probably half my practice is litigation, uh, generally uh, defending the profession against the, the uh, AVMs and uh, BPOs and other product types, also on uh, issues of bias. I've been involved with a lot of that lately in litigation. And so... Um, you know, it's been a, a, a very fruitful uh, career, and uh, my connection with the Appraisal Institute has been a, a significant and integral part of that. Thank you, Mark. And you
0: mentioned the uh, local Colorado chapter. We, we uh, are both a member, and uh, everyone should know that he puts out an awesome newsletter. He is our newsletter guy and he's the best at it. So thanks for being here, Mark. Eric, I haven't seen you in a few (laughs) years. How are you, man? Let's get your bio and and introduce yourself to everyone. No, thank you.
3: It's good to see you and I'm happy to be here. Um, I work at a a boutique appraisal shop in San Diego, California. Our firm primarily focuses on litigation, appraisal work, uh, forensic review across the United States. So we get to work on some pretty interesting assignments. I've been doing this for about 15 years, which based on our profession standards makes me an infant. Um, <laughs> but uh, it's been a very great journey. I've had some wonderful mentors. And um, ever since I started in real estate appraisal, I was told to get involved with the Appraisal Institute. So started taking classes at University of San Diego. I know a lot of our brethren did the same. It's a wonderful campus and a great place to learn how to do what we do. I started getting involved with the chapter, started with committees, eventually became chapter president, and then moved on to the national um, involvement. Finished chair, chairing the designation committee. I chaired the leadership development and advisory council. I do a little bit of teaching, but overall, my experience with the Appraisal Institute has been stellar, and I'm just happy to be involved.
1: Wonderful to hear, Eric.
3: Yeah.
1: Um, and, of course, they make this the most complicated podcast with two Marks. So, Mark Rademan, <laughs> how about you?
4: Okay. Well, I have been in the real estate business for 45 years. I've oh, been an appraiser for became 40- a
1: competition, huh? <laughs> yeah. Well,
4: maybe so. I don't know if I like the competition. But uh, 44 years of it has been in appraisal. I was started out selling houses and hated it. And, uh, so I fortunately my next door neighbor was an appraiser. And, uh, so I was able to kind of move over into that. Uh, I've been an appraisal institute and predecessor for member for 42 years. And so, uh, I've been around for a long time in that regard. Um, my work has been a variety of things. I have been very focused on education for a long time. And, uh, I've been teaching classes since I think like 84 or something to that effect. And, um, as far as, and I, I have written quite a few seminars and for the Institute. I've written some stuff for the Foundation. I've written stuff for, um, other entities as well. Um, I am, uh, practicing. I'm rather old, but I am still practicing. I, I have a new trainee as of, uh, six months ago. And I think she's probably my 12th or 13th trainee. Um, but uh, it, I'm sole practitioner to, to a large extent. And, uh, I'm in a partnership with some other people, but, um, we all are kind of work independently. Uh, I'm also one of four members of our licensing board in our state. So I'm involved in um, writing rules and laws uh, within our state for appraisers and and have been for almost 10 years. Um, I also have been on on the journal uh, review board. I have been on the National Education Committee. Um, I've not gone too much farther than that as far as that goes. I have taught classes uh, in Pretty much 30 different states in China, Korea, Japan, uh, Eastern Europe. um, Always for the Institute, by the way, because they paid the way. And so, um, done Mm -hmm. that as well. I am uh, probably the most of my work has been writing and uh, books of one sort or another. And if you count second and third editions, I'm now working on number 16 and so uh i am uh, you guys will appreciate this i am working on revising nelson bowe's cost approach book right now and so nelson was a very good friend of mine and we used to teach all the time and so god rest his soul uh so i'm working on that right now i'm also working with ray martinez on the paria program and so uh for those of you don't know that that is the practical applications of real estate appraisal experience process that the foundation has been promoting and approved to replace some of the experience requirements. So working on some case studies of that, I did some of that again this morning. So uh but that's that's going on as well. So that's what I do. I'm still practicing. So um even though I'm pretty old.
1: <laughs> you don't look that old. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Thanks, Mark, and you have been kind enough in the past to uh, be on a couple of wrapped phone calls and been very helpful. So we appreciate that. I didn't know your involvement with the (laughs) development of Perea, so that's good to know. I I can't wait for it to roll out.
4: It was. uh, I they actually needed properties to have appraisals (laughs) done on. So and I'm in Indianapolis, and so the Perea program will have at least three, probably four case studies here in Indianapolis because Uh, it's like everything else you write about what you know and so this morning I spent an hour with the learning mate people who are in (laughs) India and don't know much about you know United States real estate and we were talking about my personal residence because that was the easiest thing to do an appraisal on so uh, I already had the floor plans and stuff like that so so now
0: we know when the PREA program comes out the case study of one two three Main Street Anywhere USA is somewhere in Indianapolis, right? <laughs> well, they're they're all over
4: the place because I worked yeah. on some in Florida and I worked on some okay. in Georgia, and so they're uh pretty diverse.
0: Nice. So, Excellent. Well, thank you for your introductions, everyone. Like Tonya mentioned earlier, we're focusing on ways in which you've achieved achieved success within the Appraisal Institute, bringing awareness to others on how they can get involved and what those processes look like today.
1: Thank you, everyone, for your bios. And let's get started with talking about how we submit ideas for AI education and book topics. Um, Mark uh, R., why don't we get started with you since you said you have the, you know, most experience, you sound like you have the most experience in this uh, avenue of book well, writing and
4: I ideas. Yes, I, I probably do. I, I don't know that that's a really great thing, but I, <laughs> I probably do. And uh, my initial thought on this, because I wrote down some notes on this, is is that, uh When you're thinking about writing something, whether it be a course or seminar uh, or a book, whatever it is, you need to find a void. You need to find something, a vacuum that there's something missing. And my first book that I ever wrote wasn't very big. It was 150 pages or so, 200 pages. I found that when I was doing houses, doing residential appraisals, that there was almost nothing written about how to correctly extract and apply adjustments to the sales comparison analysis. It was a void. And no, I didn't find anything. And so I said to somebody, I forget, I think it was probably Tepshe Joyce, who was the director of publications, and I had known her about for something else. And I said, what about a book on that? And she said, write it. And so uh, it was more or less, and I will tell you, once I wrote the first one, the second one came much easier. And after you write the second or third one, then they're calling you, asking you, well, we have this idea. We need somebody to write it. And so, uh, I don't want you to think I'm that creative because I'm not. It's a matter of usually somebody said, there's a void here. We need to, we need to fill this in. And so, uh, so, but it's like anything else. You should write about what you know. And, uh, don't try to, to write about, for example, um, I'm involved a little bit in low-income housing tax credits. I know nothing about them. And so when they said to me, what do you know about this? I said, nothing. And they said, yeah, but we need you to read the seminar for, for teachability, whether we can teach it. And I said, fine, but don't ask me for content because I don't know content because I don't understand it. And I will be the first person sitting in the front row saying, wow, I didn't know that. I didn't know that. So they've got somebody that knows the content And I'm going to help a little bit on teachability. And then, of course, they have editors, and I can't emphasize this enough. The Institute has great editors to fix my grammar, my spelling, Mm -hmm. my pronunciation, you name it. They fix everything. So you don't have to be a good English Mm -hmm. major here because I'm clearly not. And so Mm -hmm. they fix everything. So if you can give them content. And you can give that to them, and I'm underlining this also, on time. If mm-hmm. there's, the people at the Institute that, that I work with all the time will tell you, well, Ratterman, not the best writer. We have to edit his work a lot. But he <laughs> never misses a deadline. Yep. And that's what I'm known for is never missing a deadline. And so, And that's where they fall down. So many authors fall down is that they say they'll do it and then don't. And so, uh, so if there's a claim to fame that I have, it's not my writing skills. It's that I don't miss the deadline, and I don't miss the deadlines because I dedicate Saturdays to this. Oh, yes, wow. every Saturday, probably half of the year, my Saturdays are dedicated to writing. And so tomorrow Saturday, I I will be working on uh, the costume record. And so uh, and the same way with the material in that regard. So uh, other than that, I mean, it's like what you learned in high school. You uh, you write an outline of what you're going to say and then you submit that to the institute and then they run it up the flagpole. So if it goes to education, education committee looks at it and says yes or no or we'd like to see this or like to see that. If it's publications then it goes to the publications, they decide, no, we think this won't work or it's not saleable or we don't need it. But most of the time, it's a matter of a uh, add this or add that. And uh, so you just have to outline what you're thinking and, and pitch the proposal to the to the Institute. And so um, that's been kind of the way it works for me.
1: Excellent. Uh, so, Mark L, how about you? Do you, Is there a similar process uh, with AI education, uh, ideas and topics that uh, you want to talk about?
2: There are. You know, it's, it's interesting. I, I would say I differ from Mark are in that i do miss deadlines frequently it appears uh, i I'd, I'd echo what mark said about the the support mechanism that uh the appraisal institute has uh when i was writing books it you know i, I think i'm an okay writer but after tap and and mike mckinley the other professionals uh they they would take so so pros and I would look at it later and I was just astonished at how good I sounded, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, that's kind of their gift. And so it's not, I think the important message on whether it's a class or whether it's a book is that there are other people there to help you in doing this and, and you're not alone. So uh, what they're looking for are ideas and someone capable of taking those ideas and making them accessible to other members of the profession. So uh, with education, uh, it's very interesting. Uh, there's more opportunity, I think, because, uh, you know, if you look at qualifying education, you look at professional education for designation, you know, those are all fairly well established. It's The, the new topic areas like, uh, seminar development, uh, where we have, um, you know, topical areas that are of interest to our members. There is always an opportunity to present those and they can, uh, I think begin at a chapter level. Uh, perhaps you have an idea that's interesting and, uh, that idea then can Morph into a perhaps an hour presentation. If it's something that's very good, it can kind of go up the ladder. And if it has broader applications to other chapters, then, you know, that, that's a wonderful way to develop a course, kind of a homegrown course. You know, for me, I, I was able to develop a course a few years ago, uh, on artificial intelligence, blockchain and AVMs. And, you know, it's funny how that course really developed. It was because Bill Garber, reached out to me, and he said, he left me a voicemail, actually, and he said, Mark, I'd like you to talk about the other AI. And when he said that, Mm -hmm. I I listened to that voicemail, and I thought, the other AI? I mean, because AI, in my mind, is always the appraisal institute. So I thought, the dark side of the appraisal institute? What are you talking about? (laughs) And and then I I realized it it all came to me. And so um, I wrote a, I did a chapter and I knew a fair amount about artificial intelligence and about blockchain. But, I, you know, I think the thing about being an instructor or developing a course is you learn even more about the subject matter, the topic area. So I wrote a one-hour seminar for the DC chapter. And, and that's what Bill wanted me to do. And I will tell you, um, I learned so much. I, I tried to make it interesting. I tried to make it compelling. And it's the first time, you know, I, I've always had a lot of people come up after seminars saying, oh, that was really good. But I felt like a rock star after this one because the topic, the, the information was so topical and so interesting and so frightening at the same time. And people were buying me drinks afterwards. And I thought, okay, this, this, this is a really good topic area. So I expanded it to a two-hour seminar for my chapter, the Colorado chapter. It was very well received. I increased it to four hours and started giving it to chapters who would reach out. And then I worked with National to make it a four-hour national course. And that debuted in 2019. And the thing, what, what changed uh, between the course I developed and the national course is suddenly I had the whole infrastructure of AI to help me. And I mean, editors and graphics design and legal and, you know, a use pap overview and all of these kinds of all of this this great support mechanism. And I think the course that d- was developed became so much better than what I'd originally built. And and now that's been popular enough that we're expanding it to a seven hour um seminar that'll debut in the fall. And it's the same process. Everyone is working with me. We're doing that right now. And it's just very, you know, it's it's a uh, a very holistic and engaging process, I think, uh, that I would encourage if you know anyone has an idea. And that's to answer your question, Tonya. It's, you know, you come up with the idea, you come up with the concept, and even if you're not the world's greatest expert on it, by the time you're done with the seminar or the, whatever the educational offering is, you will be an expert in it. And so it, it actually helps you to become better at whatever it is you're you're talking about. So it's it's good for students. It's good for you. It's good for the institute and for the profession.
1: Uh, listening to you speak, you can hear the passion uh, coming out in in your in your voice and uh, desire to, to educate, which is wonderful. Um, Warren, what about a little competition here? Who do you think love it? Who do you think <laughs> wrote it. the most books?
0: Uh, between, between our guests. Yes. Okay. Um, let's see here.
1: 16th edition. So I'll use whatever editions those are as one book and just edits.
0: Now I'm going to go with the fact that you're asking this question. You think you're going to, you're going to trip me up because Mark R has already said that 16 Mark is counting his fingers. He's taking his shoes off to count his toes. I'm going to go with Mark L because I think you're trying to trip me up.
1: I don't know. I don't know the answer. Can oh, I vote oh, on I, Mark you, you R? Asked,
0: you asked us as if you knew the answer, but no. yes, let's ask our guest.
1: I will go with Mark R. Sorry, Eric. Your 15 years toddlers uh, doesn't put you up there.
0: Unless he wrote two books a year. Could be.
4: As I said before, I've written 16 books, but that 16. includes second and third editions. Uh, oh, because okay. One of the books that I wrote and is the the student handbook for the the thirteenth, fourteenth, and fifteenth editions. See, Got and this is this is a, a four hundred page book.
1: Did you it, independently write it though?
4: Yeah, repeatedly. Wow. I want to I, no, wow. say I wrote the first one. Okay. Entirely, okay. Let's count that as one. entirely by myself.
0: Let's change it, the rules if if Mark spells more. We'll change the rules. Let's see how okay. this turns out.
4: But I want to make a point <laughs> that, that actually Mike McKinley, I want to give him big credit for writing the the, the second and third editions because they do that. I wrote the first – every word of the first book, and it's, like I said, three 400 pages because it essentially made – the textbook into something colleges and universities can use. And the reason I wrote it is because I was running a school of my own at the time, and I called and and talked to Tep Shea-Joyce and said, can I do this and not violate copyright rules? She says, well, if you buy our textbooks, we don't mind you writing something. Just keep buying (laughs) our textbooks. I said, okay. Well, then six months later, she called me and said, maybe we want to publish this and so so that's like i said that's like a second and third edition the the book i wrote on sales comparison adjustments that had three editions and so the shelf life you know after they're five six eight years old they want to rejuvenate them they want to to redo them so but independently the book's probably of single titles it's probably 11 or 12 so with different titles
2: come on mark
1: Five. Bye. Okay. I'm, I'm, I'm
4: okay. sorry. <laughs> but, but
2: I'm writing a sixth. I'm writing a
1: okay. sixth, so I don't know. <laughs> Eric, We're going to have you? you guys
0: on this time again next year, Mark, Linnae. Please have, uh, uh, let's see. Completed. Eight completed by hey, then. Well, Along then here's, with
2: the Colorado Chapter newsletter, too. There you go. Well, here's an interesting <laughs> thing, though. So I, I, this is very topical. So it's about longevity and, and how many editions, you know, you, uh, Mark brought up all these, the multiple editions. So I was I was looking at a bank statement last night, and um, I, this is kind of a segue here. But I, I noticed this payment from the Appraisal Institute for $9.25, and I could not figure out what that was. And it was my wife who finally said, oh, it must be a royalty payment. So mm-hmm. it was a royalty payment from the mm-hmm. book I published in 2000. Oh, so nice. 23 years ago, apparently, it is still selling which is a positive, but, uh, you know, it was, it was just, I, I thought of that last night. And I thought uh, it's a great, a great little in- anecdote that also shows you don't do this for money necessarily. <laughs> <That's-> <laughs> you you do this, you do this because it's the right thing to do and because you have something to offer to the profession. And I, I think that, uh, you know, that kind of outweighs any financial uh, gain that you might otherwise get.
4: I, I want to follow up on that just for a second. I, about, Ten years ago, I hit Tep Shea Joyce up and said, do you want something that's going to make the institute some money? She goes, yes. And I said, well, do you want to publish a Q&A book, a questions and answers book to help you get through the exam? Because exam anxiety is what everybody right has. Him. And I'd already written when I don't know, Mark, if you remember, Florida had, came in with her own specifications for test questions. Yeah. and I had to write all the rewrite all the course test questions. I spent a whole summer writing test questions for Florida, and they they put up some special special specifications for that. And so I be, I had a pretty good shelf of of inventory of questions, and so I rewrote that book. And to this day, it's still I get the more most royalties out of the Q and A book than I do out <laughs> of everything else combined. And so test anxiety is a, is a seller. There
1: you go. Eric, how about you? Have you written any books for AI?
3: I've not written any books. I've written articles, and I've done a lot of speaking across the country. But I will say, as a practitioner, those books are open and frequently used. Um, Prism Institute's body of knowledge is something that I look to in my day-to-day practice, and I'm just so thankful for guys like Mark and Mark. Um, that continue to be involved and update our courses and update our materials because, as everyone knows, prior our standards, we've got to be uh, privy of the latest and greatest recognized methods and techniques, and that's everything that these guys are putting out. So my hat's off to, to you both.
1: Yes, thank you. Thank you both and everyone else who writes uh, material for AI.
0: Great. Tony, a couple uh, general questions, One one here for each, Mark, if I could. Uh, Mark L. Not to pry into your your personal finances, but um, for those that are interested in making money, for example, that $9.35 royalty from, two, from your book from 2000, was that a whole year's worth of sales or was that one book? I believe that was one book. <laughs> ah, okay. See, all of you out there, all of you listeners that are interested in making a, a dime or two. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. And then, Mark R., a general publishing question. When, some, when a, a new edition of something is done, how, is there like a term, or, or I'm sorry, is there like a rule as to how much content needs to technically be changed to then become a new edition? You know what I mean?
4: Yeah. Uh, n- usually, with it, the thing that will change, like the, the student handbook had to change because the textbook changed. So the right. 13th edition of the textbook comes out, well, the 14th edition comes out, you have to change the book. And that's what I was saying. Mike McKinley did an awful lot of that cross-referencing to say, and for those people who don't know it, Mike McKinley is not an appraiser, and he's the smartest appraiser I know. <laughs> he writes the textbooks for us. and he, he, I, I was on the body of knowledge committee for three years. And, and he was integral in, in that we worked on the dictionary, we worked on the textbook, and he is essentially the guy that puts it all together. Yep. And so, but, but as the, the other second edition, third edition would, that would come out. But usually it's a matter of, other than that student handbook, it's a matter of, is there a need to change it? So if you, okay. if you write something that's a reference to USPAP, and they change the USPAP book, well now that we don't know when they're going to change it but it used to be every two years they would change the book you'd have to change change your book and so uh so it depends on what it's tied to and so uh you know that's it it's it's not there's no need to change it all the time so uh interesting it's when things change
0: okay interesting
4: i um just didn't know if like People
0: were, you know, changing the font size and, and then calling it a new book or something just to make the money. But, not, the, not at the
4: Institute they don't. And, yeah, okay. uh, yeah. No, not at all. And uh, if there's no need for it, um, it just doesn't happen. And so but the industry's changing and uh, the AI, the other AI that you were talking about, Mark, is, you know, scary, to be honest with you. And, yep. uh, and I think that's going to necessitate a whole lot of changes. And, uh, for us, the, you know that the appraisal, uh, excuse me, Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac are coming out with new appraisal forms. And that's going to require some, some writing as far as that goes. And it's going to change a lot of stuff that, that, uh, we have published. So that the change of the forms will change every, every, a lot of, of course material as well as publications.
1: Right. And I'm still curious on the nine dollars um, royalties. What book was that for?
2: Uh, that was a guide to appraisal valuation modeling, and and you know, and here's the interesting thing: it's you know, I, I said it's not about the the royalties necessarily. It's about what you're doing for the profession. But you mm-hmm. know, if you write a book, you also have other bennies. And so I I had a story I was I was presented to the Northern California chapter a number of years ago. And one of the co-authors of uh, of uh, a guide to appraisal valuation modeling is George Dell, and George and I were walking. We'd both made a p- different presentation. We were walking out, and George said, "Mark, thank you so much for letting me participate in that book because um, he said, you know, it led to my getting this this uh, uh, this this big litigation assignment and portfolio mm-hmm. review assignment." He said, and I made, you know. Mid six figures. It was amazing. And I went, Oh, that's wonderful. But then I went back (laughs) to my room. And uh, it's funny how this this parallelism here, my wife gave me a call. And she said, I said, did we get anything in the mail today? She said, Yeah, you got this check. From the appraisal institute for fifty six dollars and ten cents. So, I I I decided that day I was going to do more litigation work because clearly, clearly, you know, it wasn't from the royalties, but but it shows that you you know, doing books, doing coursework, it makes you a better. I think it makes you a better appraiser, and that leads to you then being, I think, a better litigator, a better um, uh, provider of valuation services, no matter what. Uh, no matter what you're doing or what part of the
4: profession you're in. I have a George Dow story, too. I I had to write a statistics chapter in in the the student handbook, and I'm not statistics. Mark Linney, you are the statistics guy, and George is, too. And so I said to the publisher, I said, I can't write this. I just don't know it well enough to write something that anybody should read. And she goes, well, do we have anybody that can help us? And I said, well, my sister's a Ph.D. in psychology, and they are very, very into statistics. And her husband works in statistics. He analyzes medical claims for, at the time, Humana. (laughs) I mean, that's what he and that's all he does. So my sister wrote the chapter. We put a footnote in that she she wrote all this. Etc. George sent me an, a, an email saying you did a great job on that chapter. You really showed <laughs> us the statistics, but I didn't write it. So my sister did, which brings me to my point. You don't have to do this alone. Right. I've got an appraiser in my office right now. We're, we're writing an article that I'm going to send to, to the journal people and, uh, uh, to, jointly as with both of us. And you don't have to do this by yourself. Got an idea. Run it up the flight. Get a partner. Get yeah. somebody else to help you write it. And then all of a sudden the calendar starts working its way through and you'll get it done and send it in. So, uh, joint publications, joint journal articles, uh, those kinds of things can easily be done and one can each, each of you can motivate the other.
1: Yeah. Did you give your sister credit? Yeah,
4: we did, and she's actually helped me a couple times on other stuff. I mean, she's really into statistics, and she's got a back, a person backing her up too, because that, her husband does nothing but statistics. And so when I'm sitting there talking about, uh, kurtosis, is that right, Mark? Yeah, yeah, contest. Yeah. I said, "What the hell is that?" <laughs> <And> so <laughs> she, she, she explained it to me, Lucy. And so, uh, but yeah, it's you don't have to do this alone. That, that and that wasn't even part of the institute. It was just my sister being pretty smart about this stuff. So,
0: very cool, Tony, With one book under your belt, you would be the face value podcast host with the most books. You got you? Got one.
1: Absolutely not. Okay. Okay. (laughs) I have my demo. Does that count as a book? Just put a binder on it. It, It's bound. Okay. And not not capstone, none of this, uh, you know, alternatives. I went straight up old demo route.
0: Good. And it is a work of art.
1: (laughs) Exactly. That's how I feel.
0: (laughs) Well, like Eric, I've, Gotten a couple articles, but uh, you, I can tell you that you learn, you know, maybe uh, not necessarily grammar or spelling, but you know, when you're told to come back with two thousand words, and then you can't get it from eight thousand down to to two, and yeah. you turn it in, <laughs> and then you come back, and you're like, wow, they said what I just said, my long-winded way about me. I I just got two thousand words of what I just tried to say in eight thousand. So you learn all the fluff that you can cut out or at least have someone else do it. To your point, Mark Lene about having people there that'll help you out. Yeah, absolutely. Well, switching gears a bit, I wanted to talk about networking and leadership and Eric, you're on, my man. It's time for you to shine. Can you talk about your success with AI and how LDAC is one of the ways that you're involved?
3: Certainly, I would love to.
0: Um,
3: LDAC Leadership Development and Advisory Council is in my humble opinion one of the best events that the appraisal institute puts on it's a leadership event held in washington dc and really does it really has three aspects to it one is it's a think tank you have real estate appraisers from all over the country discussing ideas discussing issues that are not only impacting the organization but our profession as well where we're going what things can we do to improve in our industry, in AI, that's one aspect of it. It's also a lobbying event. Like I said, we're in Washington, D.C. There is an afternoon where appraisers are meeting with their Congress And in a state like California, you may talk to the interns intern, but in other states, mm-hmm. um, you are meeting with senators and you're meeting with um, congressmen and women. And so that's uh, interesting because you get to tell them, hey, these are the, <clears throat> the issues that are impacting our profession. You know, this bill is important because of X, Y, and Z. And so that's another critical aspect of what we do in Washington, DC and on the Hill, the last thing, which is really important to me is the networking opportunity that you have. You are meeting people from Hawaii to Maine that are passionate about the appraisal Institute. They're passionate about what they do for a living. And it's a breath of fresh air to be able to collaborate on ideas, talk about assignments and build friendships. I have friends for life because of this event. And if I have an assignment in Florida, I know the exact person to call. Yep. Or if someone has a, a theory issue that they wanna run by, I'm happy to pick up the phone and chat. So it's a really great opportunity to meet others, um, discuss issues, make a difference in our profession, and take part in the governmental process of representing yourself in um, in Washington,
1: D.C. Excellent. Uh, yeah, I, I'm a LDAC uh, alum. I think Warren is as well. How about Mark? And Mark, did you guys go to LDAC or YAC, as it was called back in the day? <laughs> I
4: don't think in 1982 they had LDAC when I joined. I think
1: they had YAC.
4: Is that what it was? What's nah. YAC? <laughs> what does that stand for? The okay. Young Advisory
3: Council. What yeah, yeah. You I, I think
4: maybe they did have it then. Yeah. 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 Okay. I, I didn't do that, no. I just I, like I, saying yak.
1: Yeah. <laughs>
2: yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I I have not attended LDAC or, or yak. Uh, you know, and I think in retrospect, uh, I, I would have. I think, but maybe in the early days, I wasn't quite as as in tune with, uh, you know, the opportunities that LDAC really offered. And in retrospect, though, I've talked to so many people, so many people who have said, uh, you know, exactly what Eric said. That, that was a fundamentally, you know, a, 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 a change event in their lives that connected them with a lot of other very bright and engaging people who were thought leaders, as Eric said. Uh, and I think, uh, you know, in retrospect, I, I would do it. And I would encourage those who haven't done it to to go down that path. Because if especially if you're interested in service to the profession, you know, this is a way to really get involved. Mark, there's
3: still time if you want to join. <laughs> uh,
1: I agree. Yeah.
3: You, don't, you don't do enough for the Institute, from what I hear. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. You're um, never
1: too young for Eldac.
4: Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, it's never too old for y- L- L- LDAC. Eldac. Yeah, and I think I.
1: They're um, never too young for Eldac. I, I bet think, you they've had older participants than you, Mark.
4: Okay.
3: Um, I think they have. The, Mark touched on a good point, which I which I think is important, and that's the the leadership aspect of it. One of the the networking components includes talking with executive leadership. You know you have everyone coming down to this event, from the immediate past president all the way to um, what is it the the vice president i always I always get this slate mixed up. Um, I totally messed it up at this year's LDAc too, so um, <laughs> Sandy, I'm very sorry about that.
1: Um,
3: but you get to talk to executive leadership. You know the incoming president needs to fill the slate of national committees, and what a great opportunity to um, to go to that event and get exposed to uh, national leadership and potentially get on a committee that you know changes the um, the way we do things in our profession. There's a body of knowledge. and like I said, I was chairing the designation committee um, protecting our brand, so to speak. Um, and the other thing about the leadership role aspect of it is, you're sharing ideas about what's working and what's not in your chapter. And so it's so refreshing, uh, and energizing to hear about what's going on in Colorado or Indianapolis and say, Hey, that's a really cool event or that market trend seminar idea. I'd love to bring that back to Southern California. Um, share your notes with me and I'll do, I'll do the same. Yeah. So just not only at that local level, but at a national level, you get to that experience. Um, being involved and seeing what seeing what leadership looks like.
0: Yeah, Couldn't nervous. agree more, Eric. The um, thing I wanted to add, there might be people out there driving around listening to this podcast that are uh, a member of the Appraisal Institute thinking, well, I'd love to get involved in that. And uh, that, that sounds pretty cool. My own story is that I was at a chapter meeting early on and in being involved at the Colorado chapter. And they talked about LDAC and I thought to myself, I don't know what that is, but I'm going to make a note to ask. So after the meeting, I was, it was very early on. I went up to our, our executive director at the time, Sherry Engelberg and said, Hey, what's this LDAC thing? And she said, Oh, well, that's a, it's a uh, something it, that everyone does in May, that happens in May that uh, you go to Washington DC. I'd be interested in doing something like that. How do I go about doing it? And she said exactly what you just did. Tell me that you're interested. And, I went the next year. So um, some chapters have it where they like to have their um, uh, walking of the chairs. You know, that's who who goes. But believe me, if you just show interest at your chapter level that you'd be interested in, in going, believe it or not, you probably will.
1: I went to LDAC way before I was on the executive committee at my chapter. Um, So, yeah, I agree, Warren. I showed interest. I'm like, I want to go lobby. You yeah. know, it was just something I didn't know about the other experience. I didn't know about becoming a discussion leader or chair or vice chair. I didn't know. I just wanted to go lobby. I was like, oh, I can talk to, you know, senators and council members. This will be fun. Yeah. That's what I thought when I went to LDAC. Um, so, yeah, I was – I. Was a younger appraiser, but now um, it's it's a change that the culture has changed because it's not just the young appraisers; it's everyone, everyone who wants to go give back and meet people. The networking is is extreme. Like I've never been to an event where I networked with people all over the country uh, and you know the world. There was people from Puerto Rico, Mexico when I went, um, and like. Eric said, these are connections you keep and you continue with them, but you also learn about different areas. You learn about different property types. You learn that things are done differently in different parts of the world. Um, and not everyone is wrong. Like you're not wrong because you do something differently. So you learn how to analyze, um, you know, cash flows or property. You know, it's just so much you can learn from other people. And it's an mm. excellent networking experience.
3: I got to meet someone who actually used price per cow as a metric. And I thought, wow, that's pretty <laughs> Yes, someone yeah. wow. price per cow. Shout out <laughs> to Kelly Yates in Czech,
0: Virginia.
1: Price per cow. Wow. That's
2: cool.
0: Eric, funny you mentioned the, um, you know, you, you – or in california and you know you you show up and sometimes you're meeting with like one of the senator's attorneys or or lead staff or something like that i remember we walked in three of us from our colorado chapter and you know gave our spiel to this high staff member and he kind of just looked at me and 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 had written something on a piece of paper and he kind of slid it and said Here's where I live back in Colorado. What do you think my home values? is doing?
1: <laughs> oh, He was not that, listening to you, was he? he? <laughs> I said,
0: well, if you kind of pay attention to me here, what, we're, what I'm kind of coming to you with, I may be able to help you out with that. But I just thought it was funny that all that came to. So how are things doing back in my neighborhood? Yeah. yeah. Tell me what my property is worth. Love it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
3: Well, as you guys probably know. Um, you don't know me by Eric Schneider. My name in the appraisal institute is Schmitty. And I got this name from my first year at LDAC. Um the vice chair of the event, who was my coworker at the time, was trying to relay a story that I had shared with him. And he said, I want to tell you this this great anecdote that my good friend, coworker, colleague, Eric Schmidt told me. And that was almost 10 years ago now and everyone in the organization from top to bottom now refers to me as schmitty and so <laughs> if you are a real estate appraiser in ai and you come across me and you say schmitty then i know the secret code is there um and we're good yes um, but i just thought That's something it up. yeah no it's great um and i love one? i love trevor hubbard to death because of that
1: so as we wrap this up, um, can each of you give one piece of advice uh, that you would give someone just getting started in our industry?
4: I just hired another trainee, so I've been actually – I do that. I hire one, and then when they progress to the, to work on their own, they uh, trainees are always, to me, temporary employees. They're never long-term employees. I, I don't hire them with long-term employment as the goal. It's always work for me for three, or four years, two years, and then move on. And so I just started with a new person, and she is <laughs> working out pretty nicely. And um, I, I would tell new appraisers the same thing is do get involved. And you never learn so much as when you associate with smart people. And so in mm-hmm. the institute, if you've never thought about this, the institute is full of type A personalities. We are. We are all type A. And so consequently, my involvement, I was fortunate because my mentor when I first started was an MAI, and he had actually been national president of the Society of Real Estate Appraisers. And, uh, and it was almost mandatory that we join the institute at the time. And so – and I will uh-huh. tell you that that – alone my involvement in the Institute has actually really essentially made me where I am today. And, uh, and I I can't imagine how I would be where I am without that first push that I got from my mentor was you have to join, you have to belong and I expect you to. And so, um, it's not free to join, but it actually has worked out, whether you're a candidate initially or you get your designation done well, I did fairly quickly, um, it has been worth it. And, and I will say to you, back when I started, there were no licensing. There was no licensing, no certification, no appraisal certification program. The only de- the only indication you had that you were qualified was the, the MAISRA, SRPA, et cetera, et cetera. And so it meant more back then, but it still means a lot today. And so I know I'm sounding like a, a cheerleader for the Institute, but and I am. But I would say to you, just like other people, that, that that's the first thing I would say is you have to get involved. And so uh, my my new associate is uh, is going already joined. She's less than a year into the business, about a year. in, And she's already joined. She's gone through something. She's got some. By the way, she's also got her courses paid for by um, diversity. Help me here.
1: Um Appraisal diversity committee, right? Yeah, something to that effect.
4: My former partner was is Stephen Wagner, and and he's actually an, an employee of the institute now, and so he knows all this stuff, and I don't. And so he says, "Oh yeah, I can help you with this," and and again. So she's starting out and, um, and with big help from the Institute, uh, it, that benefit that she's got from uh, that uh, minority initiative. And so, uh, that's, that's my best piece of advice is, is go down the path, but also join the Institute and, and if you can, and, uh, and you will find it rewarding.
1: Thank you for that. And Mark L, now that we know how to join the institute and benefits of just becoming a member, how about becoming a leader? Can you talk us through that? What advice would you give someone?
2: Well, I would even who wants st- to be a leader. I, I would start even before that and say you have to start by getting involved, right? You have to join, but membership without participation isn't isn't very meaningful. You have to, you know, because we are type type A personalities, but. If you just stay in your garage and you never go out, you know, if you're working in your basement and you never go out, you, you miss perhaps the greatest opportunity you have, which is the, the, uh, to be able to work with your peers and, and potential mentors and to be a mentor. And I think leadership then comes from beginning that process of, you know, if, if you're mentored to, then you become a mentor down the road and then you find that you can participate in many different ways. Um, I've always tried to find things. There are so many different aspects to the Appraisal Institute that you can participate in, uh, depending on what your skill set is, depending on what your interest is. And I think as you do that, as you become involved in these numerous opportunities uh, for participation, once you achieve that participation, then I think, uh, you you start to cultivate different ideas. You start to mature those ideas and then you move into leadership. And I think the Institute is built in a manner that encourages leadership and it helps in that development, whether it's through LDAC, whether it's through, you know, other ways of just committee participation and, and moving up through the ranks of different committees. All of those things help to build you as an individual and I think ultimately make you a leader. Because if you're a member of the Institute, I would argue you are a leader already in the appraisal profession because you're a professional. And and I think that's that would be the advice I would give. Get involved, become a member, get involved, and and through that involvement, it will help to build you to be a better person.
1: So now, Eric, again, being the toddler of this group, um, (laughs) you spoke a little bit about attending LDAC, uh, becoming discussion leader, vice chair, chair. Where do you want to go from all that experience? What do you want to do in leadership?
3: That's a great question. I think at this point, even though I'm still at toddler age, it's about giving back and helping people get involved, Um, whether that's at the college level and I will do a, a quick plug. Um, as part of the designation committee, we um, helped, or the admissions committee, uh, which is a part of it, college students can now become a member for free. And so being exposed to this profession, wow. if you want to get involved, there's, there's an opportunity to, to do that. And there are so many scholarships available at the local and national level that the, the education component is one big hurdle to, Becoming a real estate appraiser, and these opportunities are are available to to help um, help mitigate that. Um, but just helping people move up, whether that's just becoming an appraiser, which is a difficult thing to do, or getting experience in a particular field um, of our business, that's just something I want to continue to do because I'm sure, like everyone on this call, uh, we didn't get here on our own. We had someone pulling us up, and so just to be a part of that group now and help pull others up um, help keep our profession strong is something that's, that's part of the plan. And um, if people want me to stick around and join another committee, happy to do that too.
0: <laughs> thank you. Thanks, Eric. I, I you know.
1: don't think we could beat any of those three <laughs> advice points. So thank you all.
0: Certainly. And we're going to have that opportunity coming soon with the AI Perea program at the chapter level. We're all going to know about these new crop of uh, potential appraisers coming through that we can help guide through the process and hopefully SRAs and MAIs down the road one day.
1: NAIGRS and AI RRS.
0: Alphabet. <laughs> <laughs> Policy. Tonya, can I take an opportunity to, to bring a little levity to our podcast? Of course. Mark, Linnae, I did uh. not have the organic opportunity to bring up this story. You don't realize probably four years ago today, literally today, 2019, um, July 21st, we were in Denver. We (laughs) dined together at uh, a regional event before the national conference in Denver, and you said you were leaving. You weren't going to be able to stay at the national conference for the entire time because you were leaving to go to Los Angeles the next day for – a special reason why don't you tell us what
2: that special reason was because it's such a great story (laughs) that's funny thank you uh warren so my so there are two kinds of people in the world i think there are those who watch wheel of fortune and there are those who watch jeopardy and you have i think you have a predilection towards one of them i come from a mixed family where my wife likes wheel of fortune i like jeopardy and i mean she would watch it every night religiously that was her thing. And so I, I remember seeing that they had <laughs> tickets available. So I put together this complicated, and it was very complicated. Wait, uh, which show? Oh, Wheel of Fortune. <laughs> Wait, sorry, <laughs> Wheel of Fortune. Right, you know. Right. Yeah. Well, I and I didn't tell my wife anything about it. I just wanted to surprise her. And then I wanted to I I, I wanted to do something just kind of unique. And uh and so I, I got her tickets to a taping of uh five shows of uh did I just say the prices right? Of Wheel of yeah. Fortune. <laughs> and uh Heresy. and, and, and and then, and then afterwards, uh, it took her to, we had a, a private tour of Sony Studios and then, uh, we went to, uh, Catalina <laughs> Island. So it was, it was just a nice little, I wanted to do something different and interesting. And I thought it was, uh, it was a lot of fun. And, and I didn't tell her about it. I, I just told her I was taking her somewhere and literally I just, I said, Pack, we're going to a reasonably warm climate. And I, I just, you know, until, until she, and she still didn't even know, you know, she knew we were going to Los Angeles because obviously she had to figure that out to get on the plane. But uh, I didn't tell her what we were actually doing until, until we drove up to the studio. So I it was kind love of. love it. Yeah, it was cool. I love yeah. it, Mark. It was
0: cool. So speaking uh,
1: co- of prices, right? I had a friend <laughs> who actually went on that show. Yeah. They won a car. Nice. That's Guess great. how much they had to pay in taxes when they came home. Oh, no. <laughs> it was horrible. Yeah. Oh, no. <laughs> uh,
0: quick Wheel of Fortune story for you. I had a little uh, little scam I was running in high school that's interesting. <laughs> I lived directly across the street from my high school, my junior and senior senior years, and to the point where I could listen to the five-minute tardy bell and still be in my seat for class with three minutes to spare. I mean, I lived across the street. So often my house would be the place where people would hang at lunch, you know, but still got 20 minutes before class starts. Let's go over to Warren's house and hang out. What I found out was that when wheel of fortune airs at like five o'clock prime time at night, the next day at like 11 or noon, whatever it was during lunchtime, they aired the same episode from the night before. So my friends didn't know this until, (laughs) a few years ago uh but i made a lot of money doing this <laughs> that i watched the one the night before and then they thought i was some kind of wheel of fortune savant because i had already watched it from the night before but hey you know you, they need to pay attention but i would sit there you know what sometimes i'd let them win a little bit but then i'd be like how do you always get this and i said eh, just good at this i don't know what to tell you <laughs> so that's my wheel of fortunes and also i know they're looking for a host uh I'm shooting my shot here. I want Pat Sajak's job.
1: No, he's resigning.
0: I think Retiring. So. Oh, yeah. Retiring. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yep. You already
3: back. got my vote. Good luck, Warren. Thank yeah. You. Go for it. Go for it. <laughs> what it's worth.
1: Well, before we get into any more sitcom, uh, you know 101 over here because I will fail Warren is the expert in uh, (laughs) entertainment but thank you Mark Mark and Eric for joining us today this was an excellent conversation and thank you to our listeners see you don't just talk about appraisal work here we talk about everything so thank you and see you all next time